Listener Production. This is Global Truth with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking today about Venezuela because they have been in the headlines for a very long time and we're not sure why because the Western world seems to care a lot about Venezuela, Keith, and why do we care? We care because it's got the largest oil reserves in the world. Oh. So we think a lot about Saudi Arabia or even Russia, but number one is actually Venezuela. And Venezuela has been selling oil to the United States for 100 years. So it's important for the American oil market or the people who drive automobiles. Um, And so it's important partly because it's a supplier of oil. It's also important because of the current controversy over the socialist government there, which they've had for 20-odd years. The government may well see itself as a model to other countries in Latin America. So it's caught up in a bigger debate that's going on that we touch on from time to time in this series with the rise of more left-wing politics. So in Great Britain, that's Jeremy Corbyn, the Labour leader, uh, who, by the way, has a taste for Latin American women. Both of his wives have come out of Latin America. And then you've got in the United States, of course, this rising young star, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez from New York, who will be, I think, a Democrat nominee at some point for president a few years into the future. And so you've really got this rising left-wing movement now. And so when people say, well, who are the left-wing governments in the world? The obvious one is obviously China, which is always a world of its own. But the others would be those in Latin America, such as Cuba, Nicaragua, and also Venezuela. So let's talk how hardcore left they are. So Cuba strikes everyone in the mind as being very leftist, socialist nation. Um, Where does Venezuela sit? Well, it's following the Cuban pattern, and it has done for 20 years. So um, the previous president, the late Hugo Chavez, uh, when he got into office, at that time the price of oil was very high. And so he could afford to start redistributing the wealth in Venezuela And so he then, with lots of money, started giving money to the poor. So the guy uh, has got saint-like status in parts of Venezuela amongst the very poor because suddenly the very poor were receiving money from the government. Um, He then died in office and then was replaced by the current president, Nicolas Maduro, who has continued that tradition. He was a deputy to the... Uh, to the late Hugo Chavez. So Maduro has continued that policy. The problem is the price of oil has collapsed. And so you really don't have the deep pockets for these socialist reforms that have previously been put forward. Okay, so at the moment in Venezuela, we've got an issue with leadership. So Maduro does not necessarily have the support of the people right this moment. If he took over from Chavez, and who was obviously charismatic but seen as very much a dictator in many ways, how, what's changed? Well, you've got to bear in mind that dictatorship is flavour of the month in Latin America. It's a terrible thing to say, but it's a very masculine-dominated society. I've been to conferences in, uh, in Latin America, and you're standing around waiting for someone to take the leadership role. It's a, it's a really bizarre culture. You know, in the United States... It, they're always individuals. They're going to do their own thing. But I've noticed in Latin America when I've been there for conferences and you're waiting outside, say, the conference room and what are we going to do next, they're waiting for that leader, whoever that person may be, 
to say, right, this is what we're going to do. So it seems to be much more in the in the DNA of the Latin culture than we were used to in, say, the United States or Australia. Um, and so the, the dictatorships have come and gone in Latin America. Um, Chile, um, which, of course, on the original 9-11 had the uh, uh, coup against the Allende government, which ended up with General Pinochet uh, taking over um, back in um, 1973 on 9-11, September the 11th. That country at that time was the only democracy in Latin America. Now, what we have seen in the last 40-odd years has been a gradual increase in democracies uh, within Latin America, away from the um, the technical term political science is the general on a horse or the strong man on a horse. A Putin. A Putin-type figure, <laughs> yeah. Although it's interesting because you are now getting Putin-type figures elected in democracies as with Bolsonaro in Brazil. That's another story. So what we're seeing then is a tradition of strong leadership. So Hugo Chavez, yep, was a dictator. Well, not a dictator because elections took place. But he was someone who had a clear vision for his society and he was able to appeal to the poor and the downtrodden. That's why he has this status within Venezuela. If you're a middle-class Venezuelan person, and most of my contacts in Venezuela come out of the middle class, I don't mix much with peasants, unfortunately, um, if you come out of the middle class, you are not necessarily an admirer of Hugo Chavez because it's your wealth that you've lost in the interest of trying to help poor people. So Chavez was popular, and I think even to this day, Maduro still maintains some support within his own country because there are people who are saying, look, we would be okay in Venezuela were it not for the American sanctions against this country and the cooperation which has taken place between the American allies. For example, the Bank of England have just taken all the money that Venezuela's got. Right, they, they they made the mistake of storing their gold in the Bank of England, thought, thinking they could trust it, and the Bank of England has said we're going to confiscate that until Maduro leaves office. So why are there sanctions, uh, firstly, against yeah. Venezuela from the West? Well, the, the sanctions have been introduced by the United States because they are opposed to Maduro. So part of the tradition is obviously um, with the, the tradition with Maduro, he's following the Cuban model that makes Americans nervous, even though there are basically only three countries that are really big time, if you like, communist or socialist societies, Cuba, Nicaragua, and, and of course, Venezuela. They're the three. Um, now, you've got about 20 countries in Latin America. The figures vary depending on what you do with dependencies and, and whatever. But let's say there are 20 countries. So it's not a huge number. But the Americans have what's called the Monroe Doctrine. So President James Monroe, about 180, 190 years ago, said that America will control Latin America. Right? The Portuguese were gradually being driven out. The Spanish were back gradually being driven out. There were, there were little enclaves for the British and the Dutch. Um, but generally speaking, the two big colonial powers were Spain and Portugal, and they were losing their empire. And so President Monroe said, we're not going to get involved in Europe's affairs. George Washington, the first president, said we're going to be isolationist. Right? So that said, we're not going to get involved in Europe's affairs. We will trade with anybody, but we're not going to fight people overseas, right? Then Monroe comes along in the 1820s and says Latin America 
will not be colonised again by any other European power. So the Monroe Doctrine means that the Americans will keep others out of Latin America. Ironically, of course, by this time, after 1805, the British at the Battle of Trafalgar had taken control of the seas. So the British were happy to say, yep, we agree with the Monroe Doctrine. We've got a bit of territory, but we're not big on Latin America. Um, we'll trade with Latin America, but we don't want any more new colonies. We've got enough already, thank you. So we will supply you with the naval defence running through the Atlantic to keep out any encroachments from France or or Germany, of course, from the 1870s, 1880s onwards. So the British supported the Monroe Doctrine. So the Monroe Doctrine is American policy but was supported by the Royal Navy. So the Americans view Latin America differently from the way in which they look at, say, Europe or Africa or Asia. This is their backyard. And so they take close interest in that. And their big worry is whether overseas countries will start to um, get influence in Latin America. It's special territory for the Americans, the United States. So that's why they've had this policy of unremitting hostility towards Cuba. So Cuba, 60 years ago, had a revolution. Cuba, uh, formerly Spanish, Cuba uh, was a, a playground for rich Americans and the mafia. So they ran the prostitution, the gambling, etc. Richard Nixon, for example, the American later American president, at the beginning of his career, was thinking of establishing a law practice in Havana. So it just shows how closely Cuba was linked into the United States and, of course, the mafia and all the rest of it. So you get the revolution in 1959, all of that immoral activity, etc., gets driven off the island. So the mafia are really angry because they've lost their, their playground. The Americans are angry because they've lost their playground. And so for the last 60 years, the United States has subjected Cuba to sanctions. It's the longest-running foreign policy failure for the Americans. Even Australia, which normally behaves itself and supports America everywhere at all times, even Australia disagrees with the American treatment on Cuba. I don't think any American, if you ask them, would even know why <laughs> there were so many strong views on Cuba. That's right. Now, the worry, of course, would be in the early 60s, Russia was improving relations. Because the Americans were hostile to Castro, the Russians, in effect, said to Castro, we'll look after you, we'll buy all of your sugar, we'll buy your cigars, your tobacco. So the market, which they'd previously had in the United States, they suddenly had in, in Russia, the old Soviet Union. And that, of course, made the Americans nervous. Remember, we had the Cuban Missile Crisis and all this sort of thing, all because the Americans were nervous about Cuba. And then in the late 1970s, we get a socialist revolution in Nicaragua, and the Americans try to put that down. We then end up with a scandal of what's called the Iran-Contra scandal, which is so complicated, we need to do a separate program on that. But it almost brought down the Reagan presidency. But he kept saying he, he couldn't remember things, so it really saved him from impeachment. He was in a very difficult situation. Uh, so that's Nicaragua. And then Venezuela comes along 20 years ago. Sort of every 20 years, the Americans have a problem. And so at the moment, it's therefore with Venezuela for 20-odd years. And for a while, it seemed as though things were going well in Venezuela. But with the decline in the price of oil, things have gone bad.
This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter where we're talking about Venezuela today and the politics of that country and it seems to be making a lot of headlines recently and I'm wondering why the Western world cares but as you put it so succinctly, Keith, they have oil and they have (laughs) the most amount of oil in the world which changes the way that they are perceived by the world, of course. Suddenly they're important to everyone Um, but they've always been quite hostile to the West. I mean, Hugo Chavez we're talking about, very, very, very well-known leader and how long was he, did he run Venezuela? Venezuela for? Uh, it was so decades. Uh, 1998 until 2013, yes. Yeah, so but very high profile. High profile, yeah. railed against the West, yeah. but, he, but the country loved him, didn't they, until yeah. towards the end, was that right? Yeah, that's because he was spending money on poor people. But if you're a middle-class Venezuelan person, you wouldn't be a fan because it's your money that he's redistributing to the poor. But the majority, you know, these are, we're talking about very old-fashioned societies where you have an upper-class uh, okay, increasingly expanding, but you've basically got a large peasant class. And it's that peasant class with the numbers that Chavez was helping out, as Maduro has, is doing at the moment. And that's the current president. So what is the issue at the moment then? So the issue at the moment is that the Americans are getting very nervous because, as I said, with the Monroe Doctrine, the Americans don't want to have other countries getting involved in the region. Um and, of course, Putin is getting involved. And China, in and China, yeah. So China has got agreements with Venezuela uh, whereby they lend money and get oil. Remember, China is, is always thirsty for raw materials. So China has got a separate arrangement. I think Russia, Russia and China should be viewed somewhat separately. I think that Russia are just anxious to needle Americans at every opportunity. And given their history in Cuba and to a certain extent with Nicaragua, they're they're very happy to join in with needling the Americans over Venezuela. So the Americans have said, we have sanctions, right, which naturally Australia is following, and the Russians have said, we'll ignore you. But the really key player, I think, now is China, because China is still providing a lot of money. China's got deep pockets. Uh, Putin doesn't have that amount of wealth to provide, but, but China has very deep pockets and is therefore able to continue to lend money to Maduro. And of course, the way the Chinese do it is it's actually a form of debt bondage because they lend you the money and they're actually bit by bit taking over the country. Um, this is the way the Chinese do their foreign aid. Very shrewd operators. Um, they would say, we have no political agenda. It's not our job to stir up the Americans. They expect to be the number one country in the world in 2049, which is the 100th anniversary of the Chinese Communist Revolution. So 2049 is their target. They want to do that without antagonising the Americans. The Russians are different. They like to needle the Americans because the Americans like to needle them, you know, which explains Ukraine. Yep. Right? So <laughs> those, you've got these two old superpowers who are busy needling each other. The Chinese are just simply going around the world doing deals which means, in this case, they've been lending money to Venezuela. Okay, so that the West is annoyed. Donald Trump's annoyed with Venezuela because they're doing deals with China and Russia. Um, so what this um, this other character, Juan... Yeah, Juan Guaido. <laughs> yeah, he's very popular. Well, he is right? a popular... Yeah, we, again, you see, we've got a problem trying to work out how popular these people are. He was He was unknown three months ago. He looks a bit like Obama, by the way, doesn't he? A bit like Obama, modelled himself on Obama. More moderate, obviously, than Nicolas Maduro. Um, There are a variety of opposition political parties who feud among themselves. When they're not criticising the president, they're fighting among themselves. This guy 
emerges from this chaos. He's president of the National Assembly and, in a sense, some would say, organises a coup and declares himself as the president, as distinct from the president, Nicolas Maduro. The Americans and other countries, most in Latin, not all, but most in Latin America, have recognised him as the new leader. Canada has also joined in. Germany and Great Britain, hence the Bank of England's actions, have all recognised him as the new leader. That What they're now doing is calling on the military to support him. As long as the military continue to support Nicolas Maduro, he's safe. But as soon as there's a hint of rebellion, then he's in trouble, in which case, if he's lucky, he'll be able to flee the country and live in retirement in Cuba. If he's unlucky, he'll be shot dead on the spot. But it may well be that in this today's era, they don't do coups like they used to. No, they did, they did them really, really well over in South America, didn't they? So there's less violence because it can all be captured on on uh, cell phones, etc. And you really don't want to be seen to be killing people. Uh, so my guess is they'll, as they did with the Philippines leader Marcos in 1980s. I was in the Philippines for that one in 1986. You know, they put him in retirement. He, in his case, he went to Hawaii. Shah of Iran ended up living in Egypt. Um, so that'll probably be, that would be the ideal solution. The problem is, though, that even if um, Maduro disappears, you know, living in retirement, say, in Havana, you've still got fundamental economic problems to deal with. You've got the whole issue of oil. Remember, the the reason for Venezuela's problem is partly due to the chaos within the oil industry. Now, some of it is due to pure mismanagement, so when the socialists get into office, a bit like the capitalists, they put their mates in office. So you get a lot of wastage through crony socialism as you have crony capitalism. But there's also uh, the problem that there's been a, a glut of oil on the world market because of the uh, fracking by the United States. The United States is the now the, back to being one of the world's leaders in oil. It used to be the world's leader in the export of oil. Then it became the number one consumer of oil and importer. And now it's back thanks to fracking, which is highly controversial because it was does to the land. But nonetheless, it's very effective at getting the stuff out of the ground and getting it exported. So ironically, plus you've got a slight economic recession still around the world, not so much in Australia but elsewhere, so that there are problems with the global demand for oil. So it means that the overall price of, the, of a barrel of oil is now much lower than it was a few years ago. So you've got all of that problem. And also, many of your talented middle-class Venezuelans have fled the country. They've got money to start with. They've fled the country and they're living over the border in Colombia or whatever because they can get jobs elsewhere. And if they're really talented in the oil industry, they might well be working in the Gulf or or who who knows uh, because they're, they're talented. So whoever takes over in Venezuela needs to be able to attract all this talent back into the country. Oh, God, and that's a challenge in itself because what's, you know, what's there? What's there? Exactly. And the challenge for Trump is that does he know what to do? One of the attractive features about Donald Trump was he said he was going to drain the swamp, which means he wasn't going to go around with all of the old cronies that we used to see in Washington, D.C. One of the tragedies of Trump is that he has failed to live up to that. So John Bolton, who's involved with regime change in Iraq, is now back in the US government. Regime change, perhaps, in Venezuela? He talks about, we've moved away from this evil, axis of evil, Iraq, Iran and North Korea. We now talk, He talks about the troika of tyranny, 
which is Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela. And then in the last few days, we've had Elliot Abrahams um, appointed as special emissary. This guy 30 years ago, 40 years ago, was involved with the Iran-Contra scandal. So, you know, they're getting these people back from the history books, the museums, every, ransacking the museums, bringing all these old people back. So Trump promised he was going to do politics differently. Remember, he was a great disruptor. And instead, he's just going back to the old playbook of uh, previous Republican administrations. Extraordinary, really? It is I mean, extraordinary. I mean, that he told a lie, Keith. I mean, can you believe it? Well, politicians <laughs> tell a lie all the time. But but because he was marketing himself as the great disruptor, mm. there, were, there were hopes that he wasn't going to be putting back all the old guard back into Washington. That's the long arm of the deep state. Mm. Ultimately, they're still back running the United States. Dr Keith, as always, enlightening. Thank you. Global Truths was presented by Dr. Keith Souter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Liv Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.